First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four. Just to thank the Lord for the good rain this morning. Thank him for his rich blessings towards us. First Peter chapter four, beginning in verse twelve. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For, this is the reason for the happiness, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end, of, end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, because of all of that, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we pray now that you bless not only the reading of your word, but I pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit of God would move in our midst. Help me, dear God, I pray that I would be able to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. May you give us ears to hear. And I pray, Father, Lord God, that you'd engraft these blessed and divine truths ever so deeply within our hearts and our affections that our lives would be transformed. Lord, we ask that, God, you'd be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. The significance, the great significance of Peter's subject, I believe, can be found in the latter three verses of this chapter where God says the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. It's a subject which I believe to be very significant for the child of God and in the world in which we live in today and all the chaos and hectic that's going on about in the world, you just if you watch things closely, and I'm sure everyone is, they're beginning to direct their attacks uh, against the Christians. God ordained. And yet it's something that we as Christians must take serious, and I hope and pray that God would enable us to reap from the blessings of Peter's exhortation this morning. Fiery trials, persecutions, reproaches for the name of Christ, suffering as Christians. Beloved, these things belong to, to Christianity. Not of any fault or merit of our own, but because Christ has called us out of this world and unto himself. That's important to understand. These things belong 
to true Christianity, not of any fault or merit of our own, but because Christ has called us out of the world and unto himself. That's why these things belong to true Christianity. And we need to keep that ever in the forefront of our hearts and our minds when considering such subjects as persecutions and afflictions and sufferings. It's because we are not of this world. If you were of the world, our Lord said, and we've quoted this quite often, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, because of my choosing you out of the world, being born again, therefore the world hateth you. The world hates us because Christ has called us out of it. No merit or fault of our own, but because of Christ calling us out of it. Our Lord in His highly, our high priestly prayer, praying to the Father, says, I have given them thy word. Boy, I'd like to park there for a while. That is a blessing. I have given them thy word. If we could just think about that for a minute. Sometimes we read too quickly. But you know what that means? I have given them thy word. The word of the everlasting God. I've given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even, or according, or just as, even I am not of the world. Beloved, it's our unity, our oneness with Christ that sets the world to hate us. Not our theological viewpoints and opinions. It's our unity, our oneness with Christ, which sets the world to hate us. Yet I fear if the quality, if the quality of our unity, our oneness with Christ could be measured by the level of hatred the world has for us, many of us, I fear, would surely be wanting if we could measure the quality of our unity and oneness with Christ with the measure of the world's hatred towards us, I fear many who profess the name of Christ would be found wanting because the world does not hate them. The world accepts them and embraces them and sees no difference in them. The church has become so worldly so embracing their pleasures and their luxuries and their riches and their enjoyments and their entertainments that they are as of the world. If the world hates you, years ago when I was a kid, I was maybe about five or six, waiting somewhere with my dad at a camp, boys, uh, I think it was the, um, um, uh, what's it called? Boys club, um, boy scouts. Um, and I wasn't very old, and I was waiting for people to show up. And I said, Dad, what if they don't show up? My dad looked at me and said, Son, if's a big word. If the world hates you. Big word. You know that it hated me before it hated you. Again, ponder that. If the world hates you. 
you know that it hated me before it hated you, John fifteen eighteen. Yet why did or does the world hate Christ so much? Well, Christ answered that question in John 7, 7. He said, the world cannot hate you. That sounds like a contradiction. Didn't he just say in John 15, the world will hate you? John 7, 7, he said, the world cannot hate you. But me, it hateth. Listen to this. Again, ponder these words. I'm, I'm going to go very slow over these because there's, there's things we need to ponder. The world cannot hate you. But me, it hateth. Because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. I testify of it that the works thereof of the world are evil. Therefore, the world hates me. And if I call you out of the world unto myself, and you have oneness with me, as the world hates me for testifying of its evil, they'll hate you because you also testify of its evil. It was Christ testifying that their works were or are evil that greatly enhanced their hatred for Him. Until the world, in accordance to God's divine counsel, Acts 4.28, apprehended, condemned, crucified, and slayed Him, or slew Him, that by His death and resurrection He might bear the sins of many and make intercession for the transgressors. But it was the hatred, the hatred for Christ, that inflamed them to apprehend Him, to crucify Him, to slay Him, why? That he might become the Savior of all mankind. So, God in his infinite wisdom and grace. Amen? Of such sufferings for sin, beloved, no man could ever take part or be partaker of. Yet, being divinely called out of the world, listen to me, being divinely called out of the world by Christ's infinite mercy and grace, Paul said, it is now given unto us in the behalf of Christ. Listen to me. In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Again, we looked at that last week, but again, another verse to ponder. It's, be, it's given unto us. It's a gift. It's a divine gift. It's by the grace of God that we might believe on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, for His cause, His divine purpose. So as Christ testified, as He walked amongst men, testified that their works were evil, now us being called out of the world and united with Christ, our lives should also be a testimony to the evil works of the world, which in turn causes them to hate us for not our sake, but for Christ's sake. If they hate you, they, you know they hated me first. They cannot hate you, but me they hate us. So you see, the more we desire, and we do as Christians, I don't know about you, but I'm sure I speak for everyone, I hope, we desire to be more like Christ, so to be like the blessed Redeemer. This is my constant and fervent prayer. But the more we become like Christ, 
the more our lives and our conversation should be a testimony of the evilness of the world, which will enhance their hatred towards us. Because it's given unto us in behalf of Christ to not only believe on this supper for His sake. Our Lord said again in John 17, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. What did the Father send Christ into the world for? Well, there's many things we could say to save sinners, but he came to testify that their works are evil. The Lord says, As you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. He who chose us, and this is amazing, he who chose us, out of the world would now send us back into the world just as the Father sent him to suffer for his sake to testify of his holiness and his goodness that by the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ we might open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in Christ. Acts chapter 26 verse 13. Therefore, we like Christ testify to the world that their works are evil. And yet we also in the preaching of the gospel show them the light and the hope. And thus shall they be hated of all men for Christ's name's sake. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. And thus shall they be hated of all men for Christ's name's sake. The world hates us, not of any fault or merit of our own, but because we've been called out. And the more you and I are conformed by his grace into the image of Christ, the more our lives and conversation will testify to the evilness of the world. And in, in that, and in that, we preach the gospel. Beloved, the gospel is nothing that the world accepts freely and openly. It's an offense to the sinner at first. Like Lloyd-Jones once said, if you've ever heard the gospel for the first time, he said the real gospel, the biblical gospel of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ, you hated it and despised it because it revealed unto you all that you were. You were vile, wicked, ungodly, without worthy, not worthy of God's grace, love, and mercy, and it condemned you. First time you heard it, you hated it and despised it until the grace of God, like Paul said in Acts, opened your eyes and turned you from darkness to light from the power of Satan unto God. What an amazing transformation. Oh, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to finally getting out and not just putting tracks on there, but getting out on the streets. Beloved, I, I believe we need to be more fervent and more diligent in preaching the gospel, especially in these days in which we live. And I'm looking forward to doing that with you all and I hope pray God give us an excitement and energy for it but if and when he does let us not expect the world to love us for it First Peter 4.14 4, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ 
Happy are you. Having exhorted the suffering believers not to think it a strange thing concerning their fiery trials, but rejoice inasmuch as they are partakers of Christ's sufferings, Peter immediately turns their attention to yet another area which was a great concern for them, one which was probably more concerning than the fiery trials that they thought were strange, namely reproaches for the name of Christ. All three subjects Peter addresses, the fiery trials, the reproaches for the name of Christ, and suffering as a Christian, of all these three, I believe this second one to be the most troubling to many believers. For reproaches, listen to me, for reproaches strike at the very heart and soul of an individual. Fiery trials are in general, many times of getting ahead of myself, many times outwardly, though they affect the inwardly. Suffering as a Christian, many times it's an outward persecution or an affliction. It can also affect the inward. But reproaches strike immediately at the very heart and soul of man. Their wounds are inward. As James declares, the tongue an unruly evil full of deadly poison. If you remember in James chapter 3 how he describes the wickedness of the tongue and the damage it can do, it sets on the fires of hell. And once you've said something, it's too late. And he describes the wickedness of the tongue. When that tongue is used to reproach men, it is of most evil. And it causes wounds and damages within the heart and mind of men. Reproach is not only to rebuke severely. We are told to rebuke with all long-suffering. But reproach is an incorrect use of rebuking. It's to discredit. Listen to me. It's to disgrace. It's to censure, even scandalize someone. That strikes to the very heart of an individual. And I can't believe that none of us in this room this morning has ever not suffered under the reproach of other people. When they criticize you, discredit you, disgrace you, scandalize your character and your name and your person, it hurts to the very core of the heart. And this was of great concern to these suffering believers. The fiery trials were strange, yet also the reproaches for the name of Christ, they were coming from, from the wicked, from the world. It was confusing them. Christ himself was submitted to such reproaches as he walked amongst men. He was called a glutton. A wine-bibber. A friend of sinners and publicans. That was a reproach in those days. Though he gladly bore that, it's still a reproach. They tried to reproach him. He was called a Samaritan. Jews hated Samaritans. you got to understand what that word Samaritan means in those days. They called him a Samaritan. That was a reproach. David said he was a devil. They charged him with blasphemy. Claimed he was born of fornication. We're not born of fornication. Abraham's our father, you remember? They knew about the virgin birth and they thought it was fornication. They claimed he was born of fornication. Ah, you're merely a carpenter's son and so on and so on. Christ, Christ was subjected 
to a lot of reproach as he walked amongst men. All the reproaches that they sent or went against God, he said, I've taken upon myself. He said, all the reproaches against thee, I've taken upon me in Romans chapter 5, talking about all the reproaches man gave to God. Christ says, I bore them all. I bore them all. So Christ knows very well the wounds of reproaches. He knows very well how deeply they strike at the heart and mind of man. So this was very troubling for these suffering believers, not only the fiery trials, but being reproached, having their character scandalized and discredited and disgraced before others to rebuke them. This is why we have, and listen to me closely, this is why we have so many Christians that are intimidated by witnessing. And listen to me closely, because if you are, you need to overcome this. They're intimidated because they're afraid of what people's going to say about them. <clears throat> and believe me, this is something to greatly be aware of. Believe me. Believe me. We preached in Germany in the streets for 14 years. It, it, it is very intimidating to stand on the, in the, on, on the street in public to preach. It's different when you're in church because people come into church, they sit in a church. It's your surroundings. It's your area. But when you go to a place where you wasn't welcome, where you wasn't invited, and you publicly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, beloved, it can be very intimidating, and I'm not belittling that feeling. It can be very intimidating. Yet listen to me, and I say this with all my heart. Never be ashamed of your approaches for the name sake of Christ. Because, as we'll see next week, because I don't have time to get into this week, this verse is so full, there's a, there's a reason for, there's a blessing in that. The Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. It dwells within you. The Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. It dwells within you. It gives you that inward peace and joy. Oh. Reproaches can be very intimidating. And yet those reproaches which strike the deepest, listen to me, often come not from strangers, but unfortunately from those who are considered companions and friends. Over in Psalm 55, Psalm 55, verse 12. Psalm 55 and verse 12. Look at verse 12. David here said, he says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid my, myself from him. Watch this. But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. These are the deepest reproaches. And they strike the hardest and the deepest. Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss. Why am I saying this? I'm getting ahead of myself again. Peter's saying that if you are reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. He's speaking about the reproaches we become from the wicked, from the world, for Christ's namesake. 
be careful of any sort of reproach. Christians should not be guilty of this sin. Puritan preacher said this once. He said, my brethren, beware of sharing with the ungodly in this tongue persecution of Christians. End of quote. Beware of sharing with the ungodly in this tongue persecution of Christians. David said, one a stranger, wasn't an enemy. He was somebody who walked with him, went to the council, we went to the house of God together. Those are the deepest reproaches. Beware of not being, beware of being guilty of sharing the ungodly reproaches against God's people. God's people suffer enough reproaches from the wicked in the world. We should not add to that. And yet when you look at the Internet and you look at people today, it seems as though they rejoice in the fact that they can reproach other professing Christians for whatever reason it might be, different theological opinions. I'm not talking about heresy or false teachings. I'm talking about Christians who are like-minded, and yet they reproach one another. And I, and I look at that and I read that and I see that, and it, and it breaks my heart that Christians feel comfortable in that. Defaming. Discrediting, dishonoring, scandalizing brothers and sisters in Christ should never be something a Christian is guilty of. Are not the persecutions and reproaches of the world not weighty and heavy enough, but that those who profess to know Christ add to this great burden? God forbid that should be such a thing. So let us beware of reproaches. Because they do strike very deep into the heart of the believer. Let us be careful when we speak of others. I've been saying that for a while. But somehow we live in a generation that fears they or believes they have the right to reproach others. That God has given them some kind of authority to stand over them and dishonor them and discredit them and scandalize them and if people would just stop for a minute, just stop for a minute and think, would God, would God truly, truly allow such a thing? If we would just simply stop and think. That's why James says, consider it. Consider it joy when you fall into divers. Consider it, judge it, think it. We're supposed to be spiritually discerners, right? We discern things. Is God glorified in me discrediting and dishonoring somebody else? Is that glorifying to God? Let us beware of that. We, see, we receive as Christians enough reproach from the world. We don't need to add to that weight. May God give us grace to never be guilty of that. But Peter does not declare that all reproaches are happy ones. He didn't say simply because you're being reproached. Christians, you know, don't rejoice or be happy simply because you're being reproached. He states clearly, he said, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, okay, for the name of Christ. I know a lot of Christians that bring reproaches on themselves, not for the name of Christ, but for themselves. There are many professing believers who bring reproaches on themselves, yet not for the name of Christ. Many there be today who profess they are suffering reproach for the name of Christ, yet their reproaches are not for the name of Christ, but because of their own sinful pride and arrogancy. You do know that Christians can be prideful and arrogant, right? You do know that's 
a sin especially found amongst those who believe in the doctrines of grace. There's something about knowledge. I don't care how spiritual you are. There's something about knowledge. When we obtain a little bit of it, it does tickle that pride, that sin of pride and arrogance in every man. I don't care who he is. Many people today claim they're suffering reproach, but it's not for the name of Christ. It's for their own sinful pride and arrogancy. Like the sons of thunder, they wish merely to call down fire from heaven, thinking that they're in God's will. They they thoroughly thought they were in God's will. Let us call down fire from heaven, like Elijah, and let's just burn them up. Christ said, you don't know what spirits you are. Let us be sure that the reproaches, if we suffer any, it's for the name of Christ and not for our own ignorance, sinfulness, or pride. These people are more concerned about defending their theological opinion than the name of Christ. Ever seen that before? I'm telling you, you can you can tell, I think we're all we can all bear witness to this. You can tell when somebody's beginning to or has or believes in a doctrine that is corrupt because it corrupts the manner of living as well. You follow me? It corrupts the manner of living. If the doctrine's wrong, doctrine is what is what defines our the way we live, right? We live according to doctrine. You if you have a corrupt doctrine, it's gonna corrupt manners. And and you see people a lot of especially this sin is found abundantly amongst those who profess the doctrines of grace. I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's sin. But uh, when one begins to get knowledge of God above that of what the average, excuse me for using these phrases for lack of better ones, average Christian believes, it begins to tickle their pride, and before long they sit in a seat of arrogancy. And they're reproaching all that do not believe the same way they do. And they believe that to be of God. The Lord said himself in Matthew, said when the final days come, they'll even believe they're doing God's will and killing you. The love of many shall wax cold. He's not concerned about the love of the world when he said that. <clears throat> they know not love. He said the love of many shall wax cold, but he that doeth in the end shall be saved. Paul told the Galatians concerning doctrine, the law and the gospel, and we know the difference of those things, I hope. He said, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And it's amazing that that phrase is spoken to Christians. Don't bite and devour one another. Like beasts who chew and devour one another. God help us not to add to the reproaches which Christians already suffer from the world. But he said it's the reproaches for the name of Christ. Not for me, for my opinion, for my theology, reproaches for the name of Christ. So what I'm doing is in the name of Christ. For Christ's sake, for him, because I'm walking like him, I'm obeying his laws, I'm I'm more Christ like. My attitude, my conversation, my behavior, my lifestyle, all of that is condemning to the world. And they reproach me because I'm more like Christ. Are you following Christ's train of thought here? <clears throat> he said, I called you out of it. That's why the world hates you. 
He doesn't say, I called you out of it, and then you're going to learn theology, and then theology, what you profess and what you preach is going to cause them to hate you. No, they hate you because I've called you out of the world. I've made you mine. You're one with me. So the more we become one with Christ in character, conduct, and behavior, the more the world hates us. It's the reproaches for Christ's namesake that brings spiritual happiness. Look over Matthew chapter 5. Stay with me a few more minutes. Matthew chapter 5, maybe a little bit more than a few more minutes. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed. You know what blessed means? I'm sure you all do, but blessed in Scripture means to be envied for your happiness. That's why when all we say, bless the, may the Lord bless you, it's the same reference. Be envied for your happiness. May you be envied for your happiness. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, our Lord's own words in the beginning of this great Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Not yours, but for mine. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Sounds like Peter, huh? For great is your reward in heaven. See, the reward's not earthly. <laughs> Don't expect to get rewarded here and now. I was looking at a hymn in the Gatsby hymn book. We, we need to get some of those hymns. They're fantastic hymns. But it was talking about how the sufferings now in this flesh just, you know, seems to drag on. But our, 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 our goal, our, our, our reward is in heaven. It's in heaven. It's in heaven. Just like Peter says, the spirit of glory in God uh, resteth upon you. It's spiritual happiness. It's spiritual blessings. It's not deliverance from physical persecution and reproaches. It's the spiritual blessings. For great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. That was Christ. It's blessed. You're to be envied for your happiness. <laughs> what Paul say about it? Look at Second Corinthians. And Paul, 2 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> we all know this verse here very well. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul saying, I got a thorn in the flesh. Besought the Lord three times take it away. He wouldn't. Look what happened. And we all know these verses. But Paul says it here. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Christ said unto him, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Or weakness. Most gladly, listen to him, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may, there's that word, rest upon me. Now watch this, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure. Sounds like Peter. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches. A lot of people try to define that thorn in the flesh. They thought it was maybe his eyesight, something physical. I don't know. Verse 10 says, uh, it tells me that Paul was talking about a thorn uh, concerning infirmities and reproaches and persecutions. and Those are the thorns. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches in necessities and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. There's that wording again. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. See that? In reproaches. I take pleasure in them. Again, we go back to even thinking not strange. It's the thinking that's wrong. Let's get our thinking right. Look over in Hebrews chapter 11. Very well-known passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 11. 
a good dad. He fell right to sleep. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, concern, uh, choosing rather choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Choosing rather to suffer affliction. Sounds like Peter. Now watch this, though. This is why. Verse 26. Esteeming. Again, the thinking process. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Wait a minute. Christ wasn't back in Moses' day. I bear to differ. Esteeming the reproach of Christ. Greater riches. You see that? Than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect on the recompense of the reward. Sounds like Peter again. You see how Scripture flows with this divine truth that it has all to do with our wrong thinking? Think right. Think biblical. May the Word of God be grafted into our souls. Hebrews 13, 13. Speaking about Christ. They might sanctify people's own blood suffered without the gate. Now watch this. Hebrews thirteen thirteen. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the gate, without the camp, bearing his reproach. Any references to that to the world or whatever? Let's bear his reproach. Let's bear his reproach. We bear the. It's an honor. It's a privilege. It's God given. Now, let me kind of wind this down. I I would want to get the second part of this verse next week because there's just too much here. Um, but I do want to look at one more thing before we bring this to a close, because I'd, I'd rather give you little that you can meditate and contemplate on for a week and then come back. And sometimes we need to chew a little slower, <laughs> meditate a little longer on things. So, but I, I do want you to look at one thing on here because it has to do with our last verse and with Moses. He chose, choosing rather. Look at verse 14 of First Peter chapter four again. Peter uses these words. Listen to him carefully. He says, "If." ye be reproached. You see, in fiery trials, he said, which is to try you. Here he says, if ye be reproached. Why did he say if? Well, it implies that there were some who were either avoiding or yet unfamiliar with such reproaches for the name of Christ. Some people avoid such reproaches. You follow me? For the world to reproach us, we have to testify, right? Not just our lives, but words. And again, I get back to that. There are some Christians today that avoid reproaches because they're intimidated by them. And again, I do not want to underestimate that fear because I have been there. I remember the first time I stood up in public streets to preach, I'm telling you. And every time after that, I still have the butterflies. But the first time was very, very awkward. Even today, it can be a little intimidating. The butterflies are still there. But don't let the fear of reproach Keep you and I from testifying the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no greater honor 
been to reprieve, reproached for the name of Christ. And what we'll be looking at next week will exalt that because the spirit of glory and God resteth upon you. He dwells. He not just comes and goes. He dwells on you. On their part is evil spoken of. Yes, they're going to speak evil of that. We'll look at that next week. But on your part, he's glorified. Remember Moses, the Lord said, I want you to go and be my voice. Our brother mentioned it the other day. Moses said, no, I can't. I mean, 40 years earlier he could. He slew an Egyptian. But at 40 years in the wilderness with them sheep and all out out nowhere, Moses found out he couldn't do anything of his own. He felt unable, incapable. He said, Lord, I can't speak. God, I can't speak. Jeremiah said the same thing. I'd say all the, many, many had problems with that, but God moved in them. And God opened their mouths. I make the ear and I make the mouth. I make the tongue to speak. I believe there were some Christians in those days that were avoiding it. And Peter was not only trying to encourage those that were being reproached, but he wanted to encourage those that were avoiding it. Look at what you're missing. Don't be ashamed of Christ or his testimony. That's why he says later about suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. He wanted them that were being reproached to know the joy that they have in Christ. And those that were intimidated by him to not be intimidated by him. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why am I happy? For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I, I look so forward to looking into that in a little more depth next week because <laughs> that's the reason for the happiness. We're not happy simply because we're being reproached. That would be morbid almost, wouldn't it? We're happy because God's doing something in me that would not be done without it. Like I said last week, there's so many things Christians are missing out on for the simple reason that we're not obeying Scripture, we're not listening to it, we're not praying to be conformed to it, we don't understand it, we misinterpret it. That's the reason for preaching. Amen? To instruct that's the reading for reading Scripture and meditating upon it. All those things combined together that Christians might grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can say with Peter, I'm happy because I'm reproached for the name of Christ because the Spirit of glory and of, of, Spirit of, glory and of God resteth upon me. They speak evil of me, but God is glorified by me. And what greater thing do we desire than to be, be glorifying God? What is man chief then? Catechism, what is man's chief end? Glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. First and foremost in our lives, first and foremost, glorify God. And when we do that, we enjoy Him forever. Same Spirit as Peter, for the Spirit of glory and of God rested upon you. May God give us grace to hear what Peter's saying. Because I believe with all my heart, judgment of God is beginning at the house of God. And I 
believe with all my heart the world is beginning to turn against Christianity like it never did before. Oh, it's always hated Christians, and there's been severe times of persecution. There are today. I do not want to in- underestimate any Christians who are being persecuted. There are Christians in, in the Asian countries that are being beheaded for their faith. So, yes, there are some Christians that are facing severe, severe sufferings for the name of Christ. And I do not belittle their testimony at all. But the Western world has been pampered. We've raised a bunch of whimpering whining Christians who faint at the first sight of afflictions and tribulations, who would rather argue theology rather than suffer for the name of Christ. God, revive his church. Let the judgment begin here. Let the judgment begin here. And may we, by God's grace, glorify his name in all that we say and do. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you'd bless the preaching of thy word to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would take the time and the effort this next week to pray over what we've heard. Lord, in the sower of the seed, you said that, Lord, there were some that fell by the wayside and the birds came and plucked it out. Picture of Satan, how he so quickly removes the seed planted in our hearts the seed of the Word of God, I pray that, Lord, we would water that seed today. I pray that, Lord, we'd watch over it. We'd keep our hearts from what we heard today. Lord, how naive we are to think that we can keep things we've heard by letting them slip through our fingers. Lord, I pray that, God, you'd help us to be reminded to pray over the things that we've heard, the things that you've taught us, lest we lose those things like Hebrews speaks of. Lord, I pray we'd be diligent in these things. Lord, I pray for those who are intimidated by reproaches. We all are to certain degrees. I pray for strength, courage, wisdom, and grace. Help us, dear God, because we're going to need this truth in the upcoming days as we reach out to this lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the world's looking for answers, but they're not expecting it to come from God. Many are blaming God. Help us, Father, we pray to be the lights of the world. We can only do that as we look into the face of Christ. May you be honored and glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name we 